Today I chat to Dr. Tom Lombardo, who's the Executive Director of the Center for Future Consciousness. He's an award-winning teacher and educator with over 35 years of professional experience. We chat about the future and some of the ways in which it can be better explored. Welcome to the podcast, Heroes of Futurism, with me, Jonathan Cherry. This podcast is about the future and how to create it, what opportunities exist, what ideas are worth thinking about, and how you can begin to design the future that you want. Let's start right now. Welcome to the podcast. I'm truly honored to have you on the on the show. Um, I think to start off with, uh, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. Uh, if, uh, if you can just tell us uh, your journey up until this point in, uh, in starting to research and explore the future, what led you to this, uh, what led you to this and, and how, what kind of work are you actually doing right now? Uh, yes. Um, uh, good morning, Jonathan, or good evening. Um, I guess I've been interested in the topic of the future since I was a little kid, uh, uh, having a fascination with uh, science fiction. In fact, H.G. Uh, Wells' The Time Machine, um, vividly remembering both watching the movie and reading that book, which took me 800,000 years into the future. And I've always been fascinated by the possibilities uh, technological, scientific about the future, also the human, also human evolution into the future. How might we change biologically? I had those interests back when I was uh, ten years old and was an avid science fiction reader um, uh, growing up. When I uh, became a uh, college professor, my degrees were actually in psychology and philosophy. But at one point, I was asked at one of the colleges I taught at to come up with an integrative studies course as a capstone course, tying together all the different areas of the arts and sciences into some kind of synthetic wrap it up experience for students graduating. And at that point, I uh, had this uh, uh, epiphany one day walking in a grocery store where I happened to notice Avin Toffler's new book. Power Shift, it was new at the time, that was 1991, I think. Why don't we do a course, why don't I do a course, create yeah. a course on the future, since I've always been interested in the future. And uh, so I began teaching courses on the future back in the early 1990s, created the course myself, and um, began researching um, what other uh, individuals, writers around the world had been saying about the study of the future, and given my background in science fiction, I um, was um, already um, uh, very fascinated with the topic, and I discovered that there were a lot of other people outside of science fiction writing about the future, like Alvin Toffler and Richard Nesbitt and others, who uh, had various thoughts as to mm. what the future held, could we predict the future? What were the different views on it? And all different aspects of it. And the course provided a good way for students to integrate everything together. And it hit me at the time that the future is the most practical and most significant area of study that 
college students or anybody should get into because that's where we're going to spend the rest of our lives. And, you know, exactly on that point, um, why do you think it is so difficult for people to think about the future? Because often you find that people are quite reluctant uh, to, to think about what they want. They're reluctant to have images of the future that they would prefer. Why do you think it is that uh, we struggle so much outside of uh, people who are writers or filmmakers why is it that uh, everyday people seem to struggle with the idea? Well, that's a complex question. And in part, I, in order to answer it, I have to disagree a bit with your assumption uh, that people uh, at least have difficulty thinking about the future. I think that our capacity to think about and imagine the future is our most distinctive and empowering um, mental ability, that we don't simply live in the present or the immediate here and now, which is the life of the infant or the child uh, or the more primitive kind of animal, but actually we um, uh, develop uh, from early on the capacity to develop plans, goals, images of the future, and that's what has allowed us to create human civilization because we can think ahead. Mm. Now, we, we may resist at times thinking ahead because people have a need for stability and they don't want to imagine change. Mm. And, of course, change creates fear in people too. And um, mm. other psychological factors will uh, interfere uh, with uh, the... Uh, uh, full, uh, developing the full-blown capacity to to imagine, think about, and plan for the future. But we all do it. In fact, if you were to try to imagine someone, a human being, who couldn't think about the future at all, they would basically be reduced to a vegetable, to a very reactive and passive uh, type of uh, being. So it's not that... You know, we don't have the ability. We do have the ability, but people ha have different levels of that ability. But it's something that we all possess mm. and we all develop from early on. And various factors help us to do it better. And other factors interfere with us doing it, say, un the uncertainty of the future, lack of imagination, being pessimistic, depressive, uh, not wanting to... Uh, exercise or develop our uh, imaginative cognitive abilities, but that's something we can get much, much better at, but we do all do it to begin with. So are you saying then that our ability to imagine uh, a better future is closely linked to our psychological health at any one time? Oh, definitely. Because a failure in what I would refer to as future consciousness is basically what we mean by depression. When we can't mm. imagine any kind of uh, future or any kind of at least inspiring future, then we become depressed. Um, if I can't imagine how I can realize my goals, I end up feeling helpless and hopeless. Um, developing our future consciousness, which involves our intellectual, imaginative, emotional, motivational sides of our future consciousness, all of that contributes to human happiness, 
to human psychological well-being. And when we suffer in those regards, um, we uh, will be uh, psychologically impaired. Uh, For example, all of the anxiety disorders that people possess have to do with apprehensions uh, of harm or misfortune uh, over the future. Yeah, I think that's it's such an interesting point because I think a lot of the work that I do is uh, is with companies, and my experience is that many companies that I deal with are reluctant to think long term. They're reluctant to put long term plans in place because in South Africa the political and economic climate in the country is quite volatile. And I think those companies are, are reluctant to put a marker in the ground and say that's uh, that's where we want to go because it's just they're unsure as to what the trajectory of the future would look like. Um, but I think exactly as you said, part of that could be the collective psychological state that the people in that company are in. Um, so just just on yeah. that point, are there ways that well, let me qualify. Just let me qualify something on that, Jonathan. I didn't say that uh, people um, have um, the capacity um, and exercise or exercise the capacity for long-term thinking on the future. They definitely have the capacity and exercise it for shorter-term issues about the future, like the next week, the next yeah. day, the next month, the next year. But when you ask people to go out further to expand their consciousness of the future for the next 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 years, then they have more trouble, definitely have more trouble mm-hmm. there. And it is that also yeah. because of fear? That's uh, a psychological state as well because of that? Um. I don't know whether it's it's fear to some degree. It's also um, issues of uh, a stability that people uh, resist change. It's also a lack of imagination and creativity mm. and having practiced and developed it. That that is to think long term. Um, Uh, For example, I have frequently said that one good thing about science fiction is that science fiction exercises your imagination in thinking out long term. Mm. And if you don't practice something, then, in fact, you are rather uh, deficient at it. Um, So psychologically, it's a combination of your imaginative abilities, your creative abilities, your emotions, your motivation. Um, your um, uh, sense of who you are. There's a lot of different factors that contribute into one's inability to think well or think out well about the medium to long-term future. So it's something that you obviously need to practice. It's something that you've got to dedicate time to. And Oh, yeah, definitely, like anything. Right. Exactly. Mm. It's a skill. Mm. Uh, Future consciousness is something everybody possesses, just like the ability to think is something everybody possesses. Mm. But thinking is a skill that you can get better at. Remembering and learning is a skill and future consciousness is a skill. So like my book, Future Consciousness, The Path of Purposeful Evolution, deals with all of the ways in which you can develop with practice all the different features of future consciousness. That is something you could you 
you uh, you learn, you develop, you can teach others. But like anything else, if you don't practice it and you don't focus on it, you won't be that good at it. Mm. So I'm I'm fascinated because you know I I think in in this day and age a lot of kids and even older kids are starting to think you know, what kind of skills do I need in order to survive and to thrive in the future? And I guess in South Africa, right. there's a lot of focus on STEM subjects. There's a lot of focus on the idea that kids need to go and study coding and, uh, you know, more analytical type of subjects like that. What advice would you give right. to a 16-year-old uh, in today's day and age if they are wanting to think about the future in a constructive way and and to imagine themselves thriving and being prosperous in the future, what advice would you give them as to what skills they need to develop? Yeah, a couple of things. Yeah. Um, uh, Although this might sound a little strange, but I will say that the fundamental skills, abilities, knowledge areas that one should develop are character virtues, not specific areas of expertise to begin with, but general features of personality. Like, for example, to learn how to be optimistic, to learn how to be better Hmm. in in terms of self-responsibility, to learn how to think out creatively better into the future, to develop the ability for tenacity and persistence, which is critical to success in anything. That is, there's a core set of psychological character virtues, which will empower you as an individual to successfully deal with the future uh, along any particular dimension of it, whether it's personal, professional, whether it's scientific or it's social. Now, there's certain domains that people will say are the up-and-coming disciplines, uh, for example, in computer technology or communication technology or uh, the sciences, etc. But unless you have that set of underlying personal factors, beginning with, I'm responsible for my own future and blaming others or blaming situations for my uh, what happens to me in the future is uh, the wrong way to go, uh, then you know, no matter how much analytical knowledge you'll have, you're not going to be a very effective person in the future. Uh, so that's going to be my response. Uh, in fact, in, in my view, the critical thing we should be teaching people is how to learn how to be more wise. And is that something that you think should be taught at schools? Is it an extracurriculum activity? Is it- No, that's the kernel. That's the essence. Mm-hmm. That's the center of it all. I learn science and I practice science such that I will acquire a better understanding of the world such that I can make the world and make humanity a better reality in which to exist. And when I attempt to develop and acquire knowledge, and comprehensive knowledge. It's got to be holistic knowledge. It's got to include the environment and people and machines and everything else. When I attempt to do that and learn how to do that well, that's wisdom. What you want to pursue is evolution and development, not perfection. And there's going to be ups and downs along the way. And what separates people who are successful from people who are not are those who persist through the misery and the problems and keep going. 
Uh, so there's one of the character virtues that leads you into the future. Right. And, <laughs> and you practice it, Jonathan. Uh, well, I'm an absolute natural. I, I think the valuable lesson is, is that uh, exactly as you say, I think the, the world often demands that we are just perfect from, from the get-go. And uh, um, so... You think so? Yeah. <laughs> yes, right. So, well, we do too. Yeah. Right. So yeah, just to yeah, give yeah. everyone some some context, we were having a little bit of a an issue with our sound uh, on the podcast, and I think after half an hour we've kind of fixed it. So uh, that's exactly what Tom is talking about: is just keep on right. cracking at it until you solve the problem. Yes, innovation and also at the, yes, and also at the same time, it was innovation too, some creativity with the tenacity. <clears throat> but the other thing to keep in mind with respect to the future on this is a bit of humility because. In five minutes, the whole damn thing may break down again. Um, and and you and see, so part of the problem, uh, uh, something I used to, I still teach philosophy, and uh, I used to teach it a lot. And I used to mention that back at the time of uh, uh, Plato and the early um, uh, philosophers and theologians um, of uh, uh, ancient or classical times. A uh, very uh, persistent um, view, aspiration, was the pursuit of certainty, that somehow we could be certain about reality, about life, and there were, there were absolute answers that one could find. And you see different people from the past who have proposed different absolute answers, but one of the things that I think we have learned and one of the important things to learn about the future in particular is that there is no absolute certainty. So we are playing in a reality, in a game mm. where we're not going to have any guarantees. And if you go looking for guarantees, you're not going to find them and you can freeze up and wall yourself in away from reality being frustrated with the fact that things don't work and you keep wanting to have things work perfectly and they just never will. Mm. Yeah. Which I, uh, and that's what yeah. you're talking about, developing a character trait of tenacity and uh, being, right. being comfortable yes. with not knowing. Um, and comfortable with not knowing, not knowing for absolute sure. Mm. You can know up to degrees, but don't go look for certainty because you'll just get frustrated or you'll become arrogant and defensive or whatever. Yeah. But you're never going to find absolute certainty unless you wall yourself into a closed mental set that's impenetrable. And a key thing about the future is that we want to grow in the future and we don't want to stay still. Standing still is death. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tom, on that point, other than the books uh, that you've written and, and the uh, material that you put out, what, um, what do you think people should be reading? What, the, some of the authors, some of the titles that you, you would recommend people to read in order to be a little bit more uh, future conscious? Well, there's lots of different kinds of books. First of all, you can distinguish between fiction and nonfiction. So futurists uh, will write basically, you know, nonfiction. So in the last year, uh, as some interesting books I read that bear upon the future, not necessarily are totally devoted to it, would be um, uh, uh, Stephen Pinker's Enlightenment Now 
and um, uh, John Hand's um, um, Evolution uh, and uh, Harari's, uh, one of his books, the one on, um, what's the title of it? Homo Deus, I mm. think. Yeah. Um, and um, I always, uh, yeah, no, it's Cosmos Sapiens, that one I liked. And Factfulness was a very good book uh, in the last uh, year or two. Uh, pushing backward from that a few years, I would recommend reading Kevin Kelly's What Technology Wants. That's yeah. a very interesting book. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, Nicholas Carr's critical books on technology, such as The Shallows and The Glass Cage, those are good, too. Yeah. Um, and, and Martin Seligman's Flourish, that was a very good book. Um, uh, on uh, the psychology of uh, flourishing. Uh, and those are just some off the top of my head. Mm. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, today, obviously, you're a, a philosophy professor. You have a background in psychology. Uh, do you think philosophy is something that you would also recommend people to go and study, the, the, classic, uh, the classic philosophers? Is, is that still hugely relevant to develop a level of critical thinking in this day? Totally relevant. Mm. Totally, totally relevant. Because philosophy teaches you how to think critically, how to think imaginatively, how to break free out of a narrow, circumscribed uh, vision of reality. Uh, philosophy is consciousness expanding. Oh. I think anybody who is a futurist should study philosophy mm. because in studying philosophy, you broaden your understanding of uh, the uh, possible ways of looking at reality, of the good. Like, if we're going to argue about what the best kind of future is, then we better have an understanding of the philosophy of ethics down through the ages and what people have suggested is the good life or the best possible future. Mm. If we're going to envision utopias, we should study ethics. If we're going to talk about, uh, in fact, I, I present the argument uh, in uh, a couple of my books, if you want to determine what the good future is or the way to go in the future, you better have a good understanding of reality mm. and what reality is. What kind of uh, uh, existence are we in here so we can understand what we're working with? So philosophy is absolutely relevant. Yes. Um, yeah. And how do you see leadership needing to change in these times? Uh, I, I think the interesting thing is, is as, you, as you're speaking, a lot of people are attracted to the kind of leaders who are certain. Uh, but the more and more people are talking about this need for a, a, a transformational style of leadership where it is about helping people uh, be more empowered. It's about um, helping people explore for themselves. But it feels like the world is just in a bit of a vacuum uh, in, in, you know, the, the ready supply of that kind of, kind of leadership. How do you see, how do you see leaders uh, of the future? What does that look like? Yeah. Um, well, we do, uh, to sound a little bit critical of, of, of my species, which I can't, sound critical because I'm a member of it, we do seem to select often people who suggest to me that we all we go look for is uh, 
powerful, loud alpha males mm. who can pound their chests and stand on the top of the heap. And we, uh, the United States, uh, and I'm not going to speak for other countries, I felt pretty good about when uh, Barack Obama got elected president of the United States because he, to me, seemed more of an intellectual, philosophical, intelligent president than we had had in quite a while. And so instead of the loud and absolutely certain and... Um, more um, uh, baboon-like leaders uh, that people often select. We, you know, we do need what Plato said, or people that have a certain element of the philosopher, the intelligent in them, and of course have. Um, um, here's another point I want to make. I, I stopped in mid-sentence. Is that it continually amazes me, and at the same time disappoints me that here we are on the planet Earth. Uh, seven to eight billion people, a couple hundred different countries, God knows how many different ethnicities, and we are in some kind of perpetual, and I mean for thousands of years now, dogfight with each other. We can't seem to get along. Mm. And we could blame that on our leadership, that our leadership is very... H.G. Wells uh, definitely uh, was uh, critical of this point. You know, we are uh, we have a set of competitive, aggressive individuals and uh, often nations um, uh, uh, fighting against each other. And we're all in this together. And it's sort of like people will make the metaphor of can't you have a functional family? I mean, you don't have to agree on everything, but, you know, you, you should be helping each other out and stop just simply trying to dig your heels in and do the best just for your country and nobody else. OK, mm -hmm. so I'm very I'm very skeptical of nationalism as opposed to being very supportive of globalism. There's a, a certain uh, element of. Uh, a collaboration, cooperation, non-competitiveness that we seem to have been missing, and we need to somehow figure out how to realize that. We need leaders who could work together with other leaders and don't always end up going to war. We have a history of, what, four or 5,000 years of just killing each other, you know, all over the globe. You know, it just never seems to end yeah. uh, in fighting with each other. But I guess people look at history and they say, well, that's what we've always done. What's required, I suppose, as you say, this new cooperative utopia, it, that yeah. would require imagination. And for yes. someone to help us imagine what that might look like, because I guess exactly as you say, we've always resorted to the old way and it seems to have worked. So let's do the same thing over again. Yeah, right. Well, I, I don't know. It how well it's worked is another question. I mean, uh, we are becoming, uh, as Steven Pinker points out in his last couple of books, we do on the average per uh, uh, number of people kill each other and fight with each other less than we used to in the past, mm. believe it or not. Okay, but he has the statistics on this. Um, but we still engage in an awful lot of aggressive, competitive, violent, um, 
an abusive behavior toward each other. Mm. And um, you could say that that works, but I don't know. It, it works, you know, with all. I don't know whether I feel like the United States is working very well right now mm. at an ethical, moral, philosophical level mm. at all. Um uh, something else that people point out too, Jonathan, um, uh, to go off in a, a different direction is that uh, you were asking about philosophy. Um, what are our ultimate values that motivate and drive us? And if our ultimate values are things like power and wealth, mm. then those lead to very destructive, often and negative and negative ends. Mm. We need to have certain values here. Uh, that uh, supersede making the buck or keeping my territory or feeling threatened by somebody else as being the prime movers and things. And that that is a point that has been brought up about about modern humans, at least for the last few hundred years. You know, we worship the almighty dollar, we worship power, and uh, that's what gets us into trouble, and that's what makes our life miserable with each other. Yeah. I mean, it sounds very Zen Buddhist, if if I'm honest. Um, <laughs> do, can you think of the top of your head of any nations that are good examples of that? Um, I think recently I'm thinking of the Prime Minister of New Zealand, who's in my mind shown some real leadership in the tackling of a, a recent crisis, that shooting that happened in, in New Zealand. Oh, yes. Right, right, right. But yes. Other than I that, wish I, I, yeah. Are there, yeah. Are there examples that you can think of, of nations that have been able to do that? Um, well, I'm not as politically astute as I could be. So I wouldn't, I, I, would, I would say these things with uh, uh, great caution. Um Recently, I was uh, a few years ago, I was in Finland and I found Finland and the people in Finland to be a very enlightened and interesting uh, bunch of people. OK, mm. um, now now I don't know Finland in depth, but uh, the Scandinavians sometimes do appear to be doing things better than, say, other groups of people are doing them. Um, now, in terms of. Uh, <clears throat> um I think what's happened in South Africa over the last 20 or 30 years has been very significant, a very positive direction versus where you were 30 years ago. Yeah. So you may not be perfect, but sure as hell, you've moved quite a bit in a very um, much better direction than you were before. So I feel good about that, even though I don't know South Africa that well, and I don't know what your specific social and political issues are today, but I would feel very good about yourself in terms of progress. Um yeah, yeah. Uh, I think a, I think a lot of South Africans fail to remember history. You know, we're quite selective as to what history we choose to to recall at any one time. And I absolutely agree with you. I think South Africa is a remarkably different country as to what it used to be. Um, yeah. And, but yes, we struggle. There are struggles which, um, to a large degree, we kind of import from elsewhere. So it's. You know, we might have come very far, but in some sense, we've la we're lacking a little bit of self-confidence. Um, we, we seem to have done very well in 30 years, but the momentum seems to be slowing down a little bit. And in some sense, we, we started this conversation talking about psychology. And in, right. my feeling is that as a nation, 
potentially our enthusiasm and hope and momentum that we had when we started is waning a little bit. And I guess, like you said, it's time now to go back and do some practicing, to do some training, to start going and, and thinking about the future in a positive way once again. Um, and I think we, we're just getting caught up in the news flow like everyone else is around the world. Well, yeah, we do get caught up in the news flow, a lot of us. I don't pay attention to the news very much, honestly, out of psychological health, for psychological health reasons, mm. uh, in the sense that um, it's, it's historically true that uh, mass media news, since it emerged about 150 years ago, has moved and in the direction of and continues to emphasize the disastrous and the miserable and the negative in terms of what is going on in the world because it sells. On the other hand, there's a lot of really good things going on. A lot of people are making progress along a million different fronts and progress in the good doesn't get as much um, uh, visibility in uh, the uh, mass news. So what we create is we create a bunch of people who to different degrees are depressed and frustrated and uh, anxious and fearful over now and into the future because we get fed so much negativity. Uh, the United States isn't any different uh, in terms of its level of um, uh, uh, pessimism or nihilism with respect to the future. I think the United States in the last 30, 40 years has lost its optimism too mm. uh, significantly. Um, I, when I've taught courses on the future, I've asked students who are just representative people from off the street, you know, how optimistic are you about the future? A paradox that emerges is they'll say they're optimistic about their own individual lives in the future, but they're pessimistic about the country as a whole. And I'll say to them, how could you be one? How could you be pessimistic about the country, which is where you're going to live in the future? And yet at the same time, be optimistic about yourself. So I think that there is a good deal of of uh, nihilism, pessimism, defeatism, anxiety, in the world psychologically over the future. Um, I'm not supporting in, in any absolute sense uh, this particular country, but being familiar with Chinese contemporary science fiction, I find that the Chinese writers who I have read and their characters tend to be more optimistic about the future than the American and Western characters in science fiction. Mm. So the Chinese seem to culturally, um, even if one can criticize their level of democracy in their country, they have a level of optimism about themselves with respect to the future. Um, but the news, in part, is responsible for that because we get fed a lot of things going wrong and not a lot of what goes right. Mm. And, uh, and you know, pessimism and optimism, all other things being equal, become self-fulfilling prophecies. So they have a self-fulfilling prophecy effect. That is, the more pessimistic you are about the future, the greater the chances the future will actually suck. Mm. On the other hand, the more optimistic you are, the greater the chance things will come out better. It's not a guarantee, but... Uh, being tenaciously hopeful and optimistic and working 
at it. Like this morning, Jonathan, you would not give up. You figured there's some way I can make this work. And you kept at it until it worked. Mm. And that was good. You know, that's a South African trait. Uh, in Afrikaans, they say a boer maak a plan, which means a farmer makes a plan. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, uh-huh. it's just making a plan. Yeah, I think Tom, on that point, there's um, there's a very good documentary on Netflix at the moment, which is uh, focuses on the weaponization of stories, which I thought is uh, you know Trump calls it fake news, but it it really is about oh, uh, yeah. you know weaponizing narrative. Which is, uh, you know, proven to be very, very powerful in in the world today, and and also fairly scary. Um, okay, yeah. so just to to round off our, our chat, I'm sorry to to round it off, but because I've I've really found it fascinating. Are you positive about the future of the world? Are are you optimistic? Do you think that we are going to get through what seems to be uh, an almighty mess in some of the most powerful countries in the world. Are, are we going to get through this? Is is there light at the end of the tunnel? Uh, uh, yes, a qualified yes. Um, we have felt over time, over history, that it's been one disaster, one thing after another, and it's not like the, the negative things are going to go away. And even if Uh, I I will put it this way. I am optimistic that in the long run, at the global and even higher levels of existence, things are moving in a forward direction. We stand a good chance of pushing along in a forward direction with the ups and downs. But the ups and downs will continually be there. But I think that in the long run, we are going to keep moving along. I think that evolution as a fundamental process on the earth and in the universe is moving things forward. There's going to be a lot of chaos in it, and there's extinction of species. And as H.G. Wells pointed out, there's lots of different angles on all of this. And it's, yes, uh, I enjoy talking about it too. But uh, as H.G. Wells pointed out, even if humankind is not the species who will take the next big positive step forward on the earth probably some other species will yeah yeah. and you know uh we are not very far away potentially from creating our techno biological descendants and children Mm -hmm. we are uh on the edge of perhaps uh producing some new version of homo sapiens or technological versions of ourselves. So maybe, you know, humans are so flawed and limited in ways that we need to do a new version of us to make things move along better. And we may not do it, but somebody, something like us, who we create or help create, will. So I'm guardedly optimistic. I'm an evolutionist at heart. Mm. Well, uh, this chat has been absolutely fascinating, Tom Lombardo. Um, It's been an absolute honor to have you on the show. I found it uh, very insightful and and very uh, optimistic for for myself. Uh, so thank you very much for the time. And, um, yeah, I, I hope to get you back on the show at another stage. Thanks so much. Yes, uh, and thank you, Jonathan. And uh, we didn't get to talk about science fiction much, which is what we can talk about next time, because Absolutely. I would definitely like to get into science fiction more uh, than uh, we got into it today. But we only had an hour.
Thanks for listening to Heroes of Futurism. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing and we'll see you next time. Cheers. Cheers.